One of our most popular segments here on the BWI and Daily Edition is our scattering reports on the opponent coming up next weekend, where we get some expert from the other team to come on the show and give you the lowdown on Penn State's next opponent, and it's a big one this week. It's number three, Iowa, and we have John Steppe of the Gazette joining us today to give us the information on the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, John, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you uh, taking time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the invite. And I also want to thank the Gazette because, uh, you know, I love and I want to support all newspapers. So I always want to make sure I get the name of the newspaper right. But the Gazette is the easiest one I've had to remember while looking in the camera <laughs> lens. It's not it's not the something journal of the times of this plus another <laughs> newspaper. So the Gazette is phenomenal. It really rolls off the tongue. So kudos Three to you. Syllables. It's simple. It is. It's perfect. Uh, and uh, and thank you for coming on the show today. This is we're going to start right off the bat with what Penn State fans want to know. Uh, gobs of turnovers for Iowa <laughs> is first off. Are those turnovers legit? And is this Iowa defense for real? What have you seen as far as the turnovers? Because I know in your last article, you went back and you watched the Maryland, the Maryland game and you you dissected every single turnover. So are these turnovers for real or are these more luck than systematically created things? Well, I think it's difficult to force seven turnovers in one game without some luck. I think that's a for sure thing is there is a little bit of that that really does come into play. But also, I mean, it's a talented secondary. We've seen it kind of again and again, where you think, okay, maybe this is just luck. How long can they rely on forcing these turnovers? And then yet again, they force a gazillion turnovers. So it's a really strong defense, a veteran secondary that, you know, really anchors this defense. You've got at the linebacker spot, Jack Campbell, who's probably as good of a linebacker as there is in the Big Ten, probably. And a younger defensive line that's still been getting results. So, you know, if I was a college football offensive player, this is not the defense I'd want to be going up against. Uh, so you answered a couple of my questions already. Uh, off to an <laughs> awesome start. Uh, we'll get to Jack Campbell in a second, but you mentioned the secondary and you mentioned how talented it is. Who are the guys that are getting the turnovers and who are the guys that you think are, are the talented ones that are really uh, making a difference? Who are the guys that Penn State fans should know on Saturday? Well, that's kind of the tricky thing is that, like take the Maryland game, for example. Six interceptions. They were from six different players. So sometimes it's like, oh, wow, you really need to keep an eye on this one corner or this one safety. But there are a lot of players here that all have a lot of veteran experience. Riley Moss has the, he's tied for the lead in interceptions in the Big Ten so far this year. So if I had a circle one, I would probably pick him, but it isn't like you can sleep on the rest of that secondary. It's a team that can really do a lot. As anyone who saw that Maryland route saw, you know, people had these expectations for Maryland of, okay, maybe this is a trap game for Iowa. And then one interception after another interception, 
mean, I was kind of pinching myself like, wait, is it really this many? As I keep on updating my gamer to include all of these, like, really? It's six now? It's like, like it's like watching uh, The Price is Right and the Yodel are going up the mountain. You're like, <laughs> no, it's going way higher than I expected. <laughs> I was thinking, is this like a game of Madden with the difficulty level, like set at rookie or something? Like, yeah. it just keeps on happening. And some of those turnovers, again, are... Okay, Talia Tongo Vailoa, um, still getting that pronunciation down. But, you know, some of those were just bad throws on his part. Yeah, um, he was forcing but, some stuff in there. And But yeah. but I want to say, like, Talia is a good quarterback. Like, he is, I don't yeah. think people realize how well he's playing so far this season outside of that game. And to do that to him, I thought that was very impressive, where they were able to kind of bait him into some of those throws. So, you know, yeah. as far as that and particular side. to the side, defensive front there, too, in terms of forcing the pressure to then kind of make him throw some of these bad throws. James Franklin in his weekly press conference uh, yesterday said, and he, he singled out Jack Campbell of uh, he moves really well. And I didn't realize on tape just how big he was. And, you know, I, I kind of had watching the film. I kind of had a similar uh, recognition of that. I didn't, I went back and I had to look, I didn't realize he was six, five two forty plus just how good is Jack Campbell? Well, it seems like he is, everywhere on this defense yes it does and it's incredible against colorado state he had a career high tackles i think before even the fourth quarter started so i mean he's a good player um there had been talk earlier in his career about whether he should be a linebacker or a defensive end and i think everyone in the program right now is happy that they kept him at linebacker because He's been so effective in terms of just physically being so big. You know, it's funny whenever we see him in the media availabilities, it feels like he just got out of a fight. Like the, <laughs> after the Colorado State game, like he had like a gash along his eyebrow that um, he had. Um, and then like the next Tuesday, I saw he had a whole bunch of like scabs on his leg. So he's a... I mean, not only is he such a great athlete for being a 6'5 linebacker, but, you know, he has that tenacity to him that, you know, makes him just that much better. Yeah, and, and one of the, and credit to him, one of those interceptions wouldn't have been possible without who else but Jack Campbell tipping the pass? I was just about to say that. Uh, that six foot five size is great, but it, until it shows up at all times, it's really just a thing. He was able to get into that passing lane and tip the ball up. That was a really impressive play, again, considering his size to have that sort of coverage ability. I'm always impressed by uh, how slow the Iowa linebackers are. And I mean that as in <laughs> they are not slow. They just, they, they are patient. I don't know that I've ever seen linebackers. This goes back to Josie Jewell when he, he played Penn State and kept Penn State, mm -hmm. even though Saquon Barkley had 200 and almost 300 yards in one game, they were able to keep Penn State out of the end zone because they're so patient. They do such a great job of reading, then reacting. Uh, with this linebacker core, what is it about them that makes them able to do that? Have you talked to the coaching staff or like, you know, what's the secret sauce there? 
I'm not sure if there's any kind of perfect secret sauce there. But, you know, they get these guys that maybe aren't five-star recruits, but then they go through kind of the strength and conditioning, all of that. Um, Kind of, I think, in that linebacker group, and Jack Campbell is a large part of this, there's kind of this chip on their shoulder, kind Mm -hmm. of underdog mentality. And, you know, it's gotten results. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it certainly has. They're very well coached players, and I think for Penn State taking advantage of that position like they normally can, uh, and this is another thing James Franklin talked about yesterday, where you know in an age where everyone's motioning and shifting and doing things to confuse that middle part of the defense, they they are very patient, very disciplined. So that's going to be a tough matchup. You mentioned the pressure on Talia Tungavaloa uh, in the last game. This is a group that I I have a blind spot. In, you know, some of like when I'm watching things of if you're not overly fast or like clearly explosive, I tend to think you're not as good at foot. You know, you you there's a there's kind of a limiter there. But this defensive front is getting pressure with four to create these turnovers. You know, who are the guys up up front there that I'm missing that I should be aware of as far as the pass rush? Because I think we all know exactly what they are as run defenders. We all know exactly what Iowa's defensive line brings from that perspective of being a, a borderline elite unit. But as pass rushers, who are the guys to know? What is What do they do that makes them so good at forcing the turnover situations that the secondary is capitalizing on? Well, I think any conversation about the defensive line has to start with Zach Van Valkenburg. He's kind of the veteran presence on that defensive line. But the impressive thing is there are a lot of younger players who can really make a big difference. Where you've got players like Lucas Van Ness, Logan Lee. you got a handful of these players that are younger players not necessarily what you'd expect when I think everyone kind of, when they hear Iowa, they think of how great the offensive and defensive lines are. Yeah. But that's two of the youngest position groups on this Iowa team this year. And those younger players have been producing results this year. So that is a helpful thing that maybe they, when you would look at them at the beginning of the season, you wouldn't necessarily expect from them. That's probably one of the bigger question marks is going to be, okay, it's, you no longer have a player like AJ Epinesa. Um, you just don't have that same experience as you did a couple of years ago. Now, mm-hmm. uh, who kind of steps up and a lot of them have. And it, it- this is one of the questions that you always have this early in the season. I think playing Brock Purdy kind of puts an <laughs> end to that question, but out of the quarterback so far, they've played both Penn state and, and uh, Iowa have played Indiana and made Michael Penix look bad, uh, which yes, he's, very not playing, bad. he's not playing well this season. That's clear. Like, I think it's clear based on what we've seen that he is not back from that ACL injury fully, at least mentally. Uh, so that, you know, that's one quarterback, Brock Purdy, another, but outside of that, has this defense, do you think been tested by a team that can take advantage of some of the weaknesses that you find traditionally in Iowa defenses, meaning, you know, the holes in zones and some of the, maybe if you can, if you can avoid the pass rush, some of those things, have they really found a, an equal test to their strength? Do you think? 
I don't think so. I was expecting Talia Tungavailoa to be that test. I was thinking, oh, wow, finally, this is going to be an interesting. You got, I mean, Talia versus this great Iowa secondary. And then that didn't quite happen. So <laughs> You think? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a little bit of an understatement there yeah. that that really didn't happen. So they really haven't. There have been times where maybe a certain aspect of a quarterback um, provided some challenges. Um, against Colorado State, Todd Santeo, their quarterback, had some success running the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Iowa just didn't seem totally ready for. Um, Can I ask you a quick Santeo, follow-up about that? In that yeah. Colorado State game, they didn't have a drive that was less than seven plays till they scored to end the half. What were they doing? Was it just the quarterback run game? What were they doing that were able to get so many drives against this stout Iowa defense? Yeah, it seemed like a lot of those Centeo runs were just at the worst times for Iowa. Gotcha. Where, okay, great first down, great second down. It's third and long, and then Centeo runs it for like 11 yards or something. And it's like, oh, well, that... That kind of negates the good work done on first and second down. So it was a lot of that. Um, Colorado State also has Trey McBride, probably as good of a tight end as you're going to see, certainly outside of Power 5, but maybe even in all of college football. So that also contributed a little bit to it. But yeah, the quarterback runs in the first half were really a killer. Now in the second half, Something I didn't notice live amidst all the other things happening, but in my film review, I noticed, wait a second, he's, Santeo was limping on one of his first runs in the second half, and then after that, he just wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. So you wonder with that Colorado State game, probably the team that frankly gave Iowa the most trouble, you would think it would be the going into it undefeated Maryland team, or the at the time, top 10 Iowa State team, or Indiana, who was well-reviewed going into the season. Obviously, they've gotten a reality check since. But no, Colorado State was kind of the toughest challenge there, and I think it might have been an even tougher challenge if Centeno didn't kind of come up limping there on that second half run. Uh, Sean Clifford, 58 yards rushing last week versus Indiana. He is a threat out of the pocket, so maybe something Penn State will be able to do in that game. Uh, we're talking to John Steppe of the Gazette, a top five showdown coming up this weekend, Penn State versus Iowa. He's giving us the information of what you need to know about the uh, third-ranked Hawkeyes that leapfrog the Nittany Lions in the rankings coming up this week. But as uh, um, as Kirk Ferentz said this week, he doesn't really care about the rankings uh, this early in the season because we have this conversation back and forth all the time as a as a football collective of is Iowa really the third-ranked team in the nation? Is Penn State really the fourth-ranked team in the nation? I think literally that's what this game is going to figure out, right? Like, this yeah. is the, it's a process. Let the journey happen, everybody. Uh, but on the offensive side of the ball, this has been, I think, to me, when I look at this, one of the bigger differences for Iowa this year has been a couple of different facets I want to get to uh, a little bit later. But the, where I want to start with is uh, the receivers. Penn State, the Penn State defense has not allowed a passing touchdown amongst the starters so far this season. 
Uh, is that going to change this week, in your opinion? And who are the skill position players that Penn State fans should know about, uh, especially at the receiver position? Well, it's interesting with the receiver. It seems like it's a different player that steps up, where you look at it, the top person on the depth chart and probably the most talented is Tyrone Tracy. But then when you look at the stats, like the last couple of games, Tracy hasn't been a major target of Spencer Petras. Where this past game, the leader in receptions was a true freshman, Arlen Bruce. And then the game before that against Colorado State, another true freshman, Keegan Johnson, had a great game where he had two really big plays. And at that time, Iowa's offense hadn't had many big plays. So it really caught the eye of a lot of Iowa fans. So it's hard to really know who is the person. Sam Laporta is a very talented tight end. Um, anyone who saw the Sunday night football game between the Packers and the 49ers heard George Kittle refer to Iowa as tight end university. Yeah. And they they keep on producing good tight ends. You've got Sam Laporta as the starter there. Um, we've been starting to see a little more of Luke Lachey in terms of that number two spot. But Laporta is a guy that, you know, I would definitely keep an eye on. Um, so I guess I'd say Laporta would be the top person. And then wide receiver, it's a little bit of anyone's game. There are about five or six people kind of in the rotation there. And, I mean, it's good that I'm not a betting person because <laughs> trying to bet who's going to be the person in one particular week is a challenge. What sort of season, and, and, and I think that there's a, a reason for that as well. Uh, we're going to save Spencer Petrus to the end because I want to have a, a good long discussion about him in particular. Um, Penn State fans, I think, are familiar with the offensive line and what they are as a run-blocking unit because it's been the same. If, you've, if you have been, were born before 1990-something, uh, <laughs> you've seen this your entire life. And if you've been born after that, it's been... Your entire life that Iowa has been this particular type of program. So, uh, when it comes to Tyler Goodson, what sort of season is he having, and how would you uh, how would you gauge his his level of production and his play so far? Well, I don't think it's been the season that people have been expecting from Tyler Goodson. Where I think there are a lot of expectations there, but it's tough when you have that younger offensive line where you know. Tristan Wirfs has been out now for a couple of years. You have other offensive linemen who have gone on and it's not a very experienced unit. You've got Tyler Winderbaum who provides great experience, probably one of the best centers in the NFL. And now you've got a few more experienced players. Um, well, certainly one with Tyler shot. This is going to be the most Iowa sounding thing, but he was hurt earlier this year because of a hay baling accident on his family farm. I can relate. I grew up on a farm. I know, I know where you, that can go wrong when you're trying to stack hay bales. I, yeah, that is very Iowa. That's, that's yes. hilarious. Um, yes. So it was like the most, like so many times people think of the Iowa stereotypes and they basically ask if I live on a farm. It's like, no, I'm in <laughs> Iowa City. This is a college town like any other place. Yeah. Uh, but 
Yeah, no, that was one thing where it's like, okay, this is perfectly fitting the Iowa stereotype. Uh, so he's an experienced option there at guard. Um, but then you've got some inexperienced guys. Mason Richmond, um, redshirt freshman. You've got Connor Colby, a true freshman. Um, both of them have been playing a lot. Mm-hmm. So that it's not the Iowa offensive line that a lot of people are used to. I think they looked a lot better against Maryland than in the first four weeks. But it's still... Don't expect the typical Iowa veteran offensive line because that's not what's showing up at Kinnick on Saturday. You know, an area that I think that that shows up more so because every time I watch them, you know, there are certain aspects that are that are, I think, a prerequisite to get on the field. If you don't run outside zone correctly as an offensive lineman, you're not getting on the field for Kirk <laughs> Ferentz. Uh, and one of the best players I've seen at doing that is Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, Linderbaum, the center. What has he done to become one of the best centers that Iowa has had in a long time? And that particular position is really important for what they do in that scheme. And that, that includes guys like James Daniels that are you know playing really well in the NFL, other guys that have come through that program. Uh, what has he done as an undersized guy to really become one of the better ones they've had at that position? Well, he's gotten a lot of experience. Um, I mean, it's not like the most complex reason there, but a lot of experience helps. Um, going through a lot of strength and conditioning helps. Um, Iowa obviously has a reputation for that, good and bad. Um, so, yeah, no, it it kind of goes down to those things of, okay, putting in the work there um, from a strength and conditioning standpoint gang a lot of experience. Um, I can't tell you off the top of my head how many consecutive starts he's had, but it's been a lot. So he's really developed into an excellent blocker there, and he's kind of that stalwart on the Iowa offensive line. Does the inexperience you talked about earlier, does that show up more in pass protection, or is it kind of an equal split of some missed blocks in the run game? Uh, from the Iowa offensive line outside of Linden, Linderbaum. I keep wanting to call him Lindenbaum. <laughs> um, that's a tough question. I'd say probably a little more on the run game, just based mm-hmm. on you look at the results of, okay, Goodson hasn't had a ton of space. When Goodson does have space, man, he's a talented back. But you just haven't seen it a ton. Um, and it seemed like the running game was an offensive line we're both starting to make some progress against Maryland when you're watching it live and then you look at the stat sheet and it's like I think it was like 3.5 yards per carry and it's like oh wait maybe not quite yet Mm -hmm. um but still better than before um so yeah I'd say it probably has affected the running game more um I mean, Petrus, part of that, too, is just based on the short passing game mm-hmm. that offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz uses a lot is, okay, well, you don't need as much time when, okay, quick, throw right away, and, okay, you avoid any offensive line shortcomings. That's actually something we talked about yesterday on the Daily Edition where I kind of got into some of the the review of Spencer Petrus as a quarterback and what he does well and what he doesn't do well which is what I want to talk about now. My analysis and what I saw was he is the best version of the Iowa quarterback I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah. Would you agree with that? Or, you know, do you think that has been 
largely dependent on who they've played so far? I think he has. Um, okay. It's funny. A lot of people were very pessimistic around in terms of fan base um, about Spencer Petras. Um, I mean, even just two weeks ago, I think it was, I was getting I main tweets in my mentions, bench Petras. And you look at it, he keeps on producing results. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think you want to bench him. I think there's a lot of emotion tied to how he played last year. And he's a very different quarterback. Not that I went and reviewed all the film from last year, but, you know, from yeah. what I saw on film, especially the Michigan State game that I watched, he was like, I understand why they may have a preconceived notion. But this guy mm -hmm. seems like a guy uh, that has taken a big step forward as far as his ability to play from the pocket. One of the things I noticed, and, and this might go back to the skill position players and having a good tight end, but he's very good over the middle. Most guys don't target the inter intermediate zones in the deeper part of the field because linebackers exist. Uh, <laughs> have, <laughs> have you seen more aggressiveness from him this year or maybe uh, a different style of play not to say that he isn't you know the short passing game is a huge part of what they do but is he more aggressive than guys you've seen in the past or is it that those plays are just available so far this year well I think you kind of have to break the season into almost two sections where mm -hmm. you've got the first section that is Indiana Iowa State Kent State and then you've got the section second section which is Colorado State Maryland yeah in those first three games, really, it was not much of a deep threat there, um, where I think it was one play of more than 30 yards for him in the first three games, if I'm remembering correctly. So it was, yeah, a lot of short passes. You weren't seeing that quite yet. And then the Colorado State game is almost like a light bulb switched. I don't know if it was because... I mean, they're tired of getting questions every Tuesday about not throwing it deep. Mm -hmm. um, probably not that, but uh, I mean, it all of a sudden we saw, wow, he can actually throw it deep. And I yeah. think some of it was a I main product of Colorado State was stacking the box. Right. So you're going to have more opportunities deep downfield. So some of it's probably that, but then you saw it again against Maryland and, you know, they're secondaries being respectable yeah so they that... were sending they were sending a lot of pressure though so it was a lot of single yeah. coverage that's one of the things i noticed is he's not going to force the ball in but if he has single coverage and he one of the things i thought he he did very well in that colorado state game is ball placement on those vertical routes which is really hard going down the oh, sideline yeah. and, and fitting it right into the spot you need it uh did you see that against maryland and, and is that something that you think as far as uh, what he can do if Penn State does give those opportunities, do you think he will take them? Or do you think against a good defense, he's going to revert more to who he was previously? I think that this deep ball is here to stay, but mm -hmm. it's hard to know. Um, I think people were pretty surprised in the Colorado State game when all of a sudden he's throwing it deep. So it's a little hard to be for sure here, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think if there are opportunities, he's going to take them. Um, I mean, you mentioned the Maryland single coverage. I was watching a little bit of the Maryland Kent state game. It's confusing. Both teams played Kent state in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So the Maryland Kent state game, I saw a lot of Maryland single coverage and I was thinking, 
wow, if they do this against Iowa, this is going to be interesting. And turns out they did. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that if there are the opportunities there, he's going to do it. At the same time, they do realize, you know, one thing that I've heard from them is that they know that the shorter they throw it, the higher percentage. So that's the thing is, okay, if they don't see that clear opportunities there, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of, okay, five yard, 10 yard, maybe even 15 yard passes as kind of the key focal point for this offense. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, uh, Petrus leads the Big Ten with throws under the sticks, you know, nine yards <laughs> and under. So that's it's a huge part of their game. And, and that's always the question is, you know, is it because football can be so personnel and matchup driven and, and, and situational driven. Uh, and I think there's a, a good correlation between Petrus, who is now, uh, I believe, in his fourth year, at least of seeing time on the field. Is he is he a redshirt senior or a senior proper? Um. I think he's a junior. Let me double check this. Uh, okay. Well, either way, the, the the comparison I think is fair to a guy who's been in the program a while, and you know what to expect out of of Petrus and Sean Clifford, Penn State's starting quarterback. The difference to me has been that he's been more consistent on those deep passes, even when he had the opportunities early in the season. Even though there weren't as many, he was able to to connect on enough of those to keep you know I think teams at least somewhat on balance, and that kind of leads me into my question about what you've seen from Penn State and uh, their offense. How do you think that Sean Clifford matches up with this Iowa defense that has been so opportunistic this season? Yeah, it's me interesting. Um, I've noticed it seems like a better Sean Clifford this year than last year. Um, I'm sure you would agree with that. It's an understatement. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it might be a little bit of a matter of okay, against a tougher opponent, does he kind of keep this 2021 success with this new coordinator or does he kind of revert to his 2020 past where he had a couple touchdowns, but couple interceptions too against Maryland or against Iowa, excuse me. So I think that'll be interesting. Um, the Jahan Dotson versus I'm guessing they're going to put Riley Moss on him. That's going to be, I think a fascinating matchup there where who wins those routes. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's really going to be the especially interesting matchup here is Dotson versus Iowa secondary. Um, But I think kind of both sides, we're going to see a lot of defense, it seems like. Yeah. Um, That's kind of my initial takeaway is, I mean, this is not going to be the typical, like this is Big Ten football. Um, and it's going to be kind of a very Big Ten style game. This isn't going to be Pac-12 after dark. where <laughs> You're not going to have like, a 45 to uh, 42 final in this one. No, not at all. I think yeah. we're going to see a lot of defense, um, even with Clifford's improvement. I mean, I think Iowa's defense is ready for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, what- he's... One thing that I've noticed, and obviously, again, this goes back to the DNA of Iowa, is they want to control the line of scrimmage with just four players. And I don't have I don't have much of a question as to their ability to do that in the run game where teams literally just abandon running inside. 
the uh, Indiana had everything going to the perimeter. They just literally as a as a kind of a process thing to make sure that he kept a little bit of an honest approach from the Iowa offensive or defensive line was to run a couple inside with Stephen Carr. But as far as the pass rush, Penn State has really handled outside of the first half against Wisconsin. They've handled a four-man pass rush pretty well so far this season, especially, and I think a good comparison would be the um, uh, the Auburn game where Auburn didn't run any stunts. They tried to play pretty straight, and, and they rushed four. And the Penn State offensive line, while they struggle at times with certain things, they did play well there. Do you think that Iowa does enough and have uh, guys that can win quickly enough? Because, again, there's no guy that I look at that really has the speed to challenge some of the problems that Penn State has. Do you think that they, they can get enough pressure on Sean Clifford to make him uh, not have time to sit back there and look through the zones? It'll be interesting to see. That's probably going to be one of the key matchups because mm-hmm. the defensive line has been very successful thus far with that four-man rush. It's something that's kind of a key part of the Iowa defense where they really don't want to give up the big plays. And because of that, You see a lot of four-man rushes. So, you know, they've done a good job before that, but they haven't gone up against an offensive line probably of Penn State's caliber. So that'll be an interesting test to see. And however that goes could be a big factor in, I mean, who wins this game. Yeah, the, the, the tackles have been a bit of an issue with both Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace giving up over 10 pressures so far this season, but just 12 total with the interior. And Penn State fans are, you know, in arms. They, they, they've picked up their pitchforks that the offensive line isn't run blocking well, but as far as a pass-protecting pro, pass unit, they have been, uh, I think, as far as a, a unit, an above-average one. So that is going to be, to me, one of the most fascinating matchups of the weekend is that offensive line versus that defensive line, uh, which is always, you know, I'm a passing game guy. I love coverage, quarterbacks, how you attack a defense. But as you said, this is going to be some Big Ten football, and it's going to come down to what happens in the trenches. Uh, <laughs> any Any last thoughts on what you're looking for in this game as we wrap up? Um, it's going to be an exciting environment. Um, first sellout of the year for Iowa. Um, usually Kurt Ferentz is not one to be super expressive in his press conferences, but he admitted yesterday that, Hey, this is rare air that you're going to have when it's number three versus number four. Um, the last time that Iowa has had a home game of this level was 1985 before I was born when it was number one, Iowa and number two, Michigan. So it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so I think you're going to have kind of a December style atmosphere. Thankfully not December weather. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be good without that for a while, but you know, this is going to be a great environment. I think, um, you know, is interesting. I think the IO fan base wasn't necessarily super optimistic about this team until that Maryland game mm-hmm. where it was kind of like a, wow, we're number five, kind of at the beginning of the game to, wow, we're number five. Yeah. Kind of, it changed there. Uh, so I think there's a little more optimism around Iowa that, okay, this team could be for real, but this is me, the big test and Penn state, it, you can afford to lose this. If you're Penn state, 
most likely because that Big Ten East, you're going to get other quality wins. Mm-hmm. For Iowa, this is kind of their ticket mm-hmm. where after this, the road gets a lot easier. You've got Purdue, then you've got your bye week, then you have a Wisconsin team that so many people had so much higher expectations for. And yeah. Several interceptions later, here they are. Um, then you've got Northwestern, and I think it's Minnesota and then Illinois. I might have those flipped. But yeah, Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska are the rest of the season. And you know, when we're talking about Nebraska potentially being the second best team in the Big Ten West, that tells you a lot about the division. Yikes. So, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's certainly not Wisconsin based on how they've been playing the last few weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really Iowa's chance to, I think, regardless of how tonight, or not tonight, Saturday evening goes, I think we're going to be seeing Iowa most likely in Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. um, just based on how the rest of this division goes. But in terms of, further aspirations you know this is kind of iowa's big chance to shine it's always not well not always because last year was not that but it's usually an instant classic when penn state travels to kinnick and these two teams play it's always a great game and speaking of great it's not one you would expect on paper there's no geographic ties yeah you know there are barely any players from pennsylvania on iowa's roster Kurt Ferentz did grow up watching a lot of Penn State football. Um, He was talking about that a little bit yesterday. So um, you could say he's been scouting Penn State for a very long time. (laughs) 35 plus years he's been scouting Penn State. So uh, age 66 and starting watching them in elementary school. That's 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 even longer. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's. that is that's one of the few things that's a, a longer tenure than his time in Iowa City, which is saying something. <laughs> uh, yes. John, this has been a blast. I really have enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for coming on and giving the Penn State fans uh, a really good in-depth discussion about Iowa and the game coming up this weekend. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. John Steppy of the Gazette here. Make sure you follow him. I always have it down there below. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see it there. But if you're listening to the podcast version, J Step One S T E P P E One on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow so you can get more information on the Hawkeyes throughout the week because uh, it's a big game and people just want to know more. That'll do it today. Speaking of knowing more for the BWI Daily Edition, we'll be back tomorrow as always with Nate Bauer, Senior Editor of Blue White Illustrated, giving you uh, his thoughts on Penn State's practice, which will be coming up tonight. Uh, So stay tuned for that. And as always, thank you to everybody who subscribed to the YouTube channel. Keep it coming. Keep the subscriptions coming. Let's grow this channel so we can get more people involved and see what we're doing here with Blue White Illustrated. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be talking to you tomorrow.